So guys, when you think about famous couples, who comes to mind? Lucy and Ricky Ricardo? Sonny and Cher? What about John Lennon and Yoko Ono? Today, if we wanna bring it, some of, the, some of the younger generation are like, who in the world are they? We might think today of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, or Beyonce and Jay-Z. But what if we were to go back to the Bible and talk about some famous couples? There's Adam and Eve, there's Samson and Delilah, there's Ruth and Boaz, there's David and Bathsheba. Now all of these are incredible stories, but I've gotta tell you, I think the most intriguing and the most well-known couple in the Bible would obviously be Mary and Joseph. If you were talking to a group of unchurched people and you listed some couples in the Bible, they're the ones that are gonna be the most recognized. We might only talk about them once a year, but most people, I think, are familiar with those two. Many of you have nativity sets in your home that include Mary and Joseph. And I know many of you read the Christmas story about Mary and Joseph to your kids or your grandkids. And yet how much, guys, do we really know about this famous couple? Now, for those of you that are our guests today, we are in week three of a four-week series called Untold. In other words, we recite some of these same Christmas stories every single year and yet I'm just, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of details that go untold. And while it's a wonderful story of worship and praise for the birth of our Savior, most of the people involved in the Christmas story went through a great deal of hardship and made a lot of sacrifices. If you've been here through this series, the first week we talked about the two kings. Both of them referred to as the king of the Jews, Herod and the Christ child. Last week we talked about the shepherds and then Next week, we're gonna talk about, on Christmas Eve, we're gonna talk about Jesus. But today, we're gonna to turn our attention towards Mary and Joseph. And so, what I wanna do is I wanna kinda of break them both down and talk a little bit about each one. So let's start by talking about Mary. Other than Jesus, there's probably no other person in the Bible that's more revered. Think about that. Other than Jesus, there's probably no one else in Scripture that's more revered and more loved than Mary is. And yet there's a whole lot of different opinions about her importance. I think, honestly, I think some churches overestimate her importance while others underestimate her. In other words, play it down. I've heard some refer to her as divine, even referred to as the divine mother Mary. They believe that Mary was immaculately conceived. In other words, that she was born sinless and lived a sinless life. Friends, can I just tell you, Mary was not divine. She was a sinner, just like you and me. And she too was in need of a savior. All human beings naturally conceived inherit original sin. In fact, in Luke, we see Mary's song. I know you've read that before, the Magnificat. We've all heard Mary's song before. It's an incredible work of praise as she just burst forth in song of praise. I want you to look at the first of it. In Luke chapter one, verse 40, 46 and seven, it says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies, this is in song form for her, but she says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Not a Savior, 
but God my Savior. So again, I'm just trying to get you to see it's important to understand that Mary was a sinner just like you and me. On the other hand, I think a lot of churches have forgotten the amazing role that this young teenage girl played in the coming of the Messiah. Because I think we can be guilty of treating her like a Christmas figurine. We bring her out of the box for a few weeks and then we store her away with the rest of the nativity set each year. But friends, I'm just telling you, if you stop and think about it, God obviously saw something in this young lady that would cause him to choose her to be the mother of the Christ child, to choose her, just a, a teenage girl, to choose her to be the mother of the Messiah. So let's jump into her story today. In Luke chapter one, we'll back up a little bit and start with verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. When Gabriel appears to Mary, she's just a teenager, probably no more than 15 or 16 years of age at the time. Now for those of you with teenage daughters that are at that age, can you even wrap your brain around the thought of your daughter chosen to be the mother of the Messiah? I mean, we don't normally think, in, in, in this culture today, we don't normally think about a teenage girl at that age being a mother. Mary was only 15 to 16 years old when the angel appeared to her. It's hard for us to imagine that. We know, that, we know for a fact that she was strong in her faith in God, and we also know that she was engaged. We just read that. She was engaged or betrothed to Joseph. And we see twice in verse 27, this is critical to understand, I know that you know it, but it's critically important to the whole story. In verse 27, it tells us twice that she was a virgin. Now in the first century, after a girl was pledged to a man, the couple was considered to be legally married, even though there was a period of nine months to one year where the couple could not live together or lie together. So there was a period, it was an engagement in period. So you were married, you had an engagement period of about nine months to a year where the couple would not live together or lie together. And I'm sure like every young girl, it was an exciting time in her life. I'm sure, guys, I'm sure that she had hopes and dreams of being married to a man that would care for her and love her and dreams of one day being a mother. But as we all know, there are times when life just doesn't go the way we plan for it to go. We read on in verse 28, and it says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. That's a big deal. So the angel's calling her out and saying, greetings, you who are highly favored. He's telling her, man, in God's eyes, you are favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I mean, she's a little freaked out as you and I would be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That's a powerful statement right there. Usually it comes at the end and we just read right over it. For no word from God will ever fail. At this point in her life, her whole world is literally turned upside down. In one way, I'm sure she's in awe that God would choose her. I mean, haven't you been, there's probably been something in your lifetime where you've been chosen to do something and you're immediately humbled. You immediately feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not qualified to do something like that. And you're overwhelmed by it. Well, I'm sure that at this moment, that's exactly the way she's feeling. This angel is telling her that she's favored by God. This would be one of the greatest honors of any woman to be given the idea of to be given the privilege to be the mother of the Son of God, to be the mother of the coming Messiah. Amazing. And yet at the same time, come on, the ramifications of all of this had to be absolutely overwhelming. What in the world is she supposed to do? At this point, she didn't have a, a lot of info to tell Joseph, but she knew she needed to go talk to Joseph. She had to let him know, I'm pregnant. And the father, by the way, is God. Yeah, right, Mary. Come on. You expect us to believe that you're pregnant and that God is the father? Well, Mary knows that no one's going to believe her. I mean, come on. She realizes this is, what am I going to do? Nobody's going to believe me. And yet, these are the instructions that God gave her. And in this, he's asking her to do what? When you think about it, God has not only given her an incredible opportunity, God has not only given Mary an incredible privilege, but he's also asking for her to bear the shame, the reproach, and the humiliation for his glory. I mean, what are people going to think? They're not going to be happy for her. They're not going to be proud of her because nobody's going to believe her. Wow, ladies, what would you do? Well, thankfully, none of us will ever be faced with that kind of a decision. And yet, I think there are times that God might ask you to do things that some people, listen, that some people are not going to like. God may ask you to do things that some people might uh, be against. It's things that might bring you ridicule. It could be something, it could be something that jeopardizes a job promotion or maybe even a friendship. A choice that you need to make, a decision that you need to make, a, a, an act that God has told you to do something and you need to be obedient to what it is he's telling you to do. So the real question for all of us guys is this, will you obey God no matter what? That really, if you don't walk away with anything else today, that's really the point of our talk today, is will you obey God no matter what? That's exactly that is exactly the question that all of us face. When we say to Christ, I surrender all, I give my life to Jesus Christ, then with that comes an act of obedience. With that comes the intentionality to say, God, no matter what it is you tell me to do, I wanna be obedient because I love you. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. Oh my gosh, guys, we could just stop right there. All who love me will do what I say. You know, there's so many people today, listen to me, there are so many people today that are saying, do you love Jesus? Oh, I love God with all of my heart. You know, I, I, he's the most important thing in my life. Well, then it comes down to this. 
And these are the words of Christ. All who love me will just, will do what I say. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'll be determined to be obedient to him. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each one of them. No one, no one said, I'm just telling you, there's nothing in scripture that tells us this. No one has told us that following Christ is always gonna be easy. No one has said that when you surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, that now everything's gonna be wonderful. Because in fact, Jesus is the one that told us there's gonna be trials and tribulations. There's gonna be difficult times in your life. Following, following me is not gonna be a picnic all the time. There's gonna be things that are tough. Being obedient to me there's gonna, means there's gonna be times you're gonna be ridiculed, made fun of, and put down because of your faith. It's not always gonna be easy. Mary had a difficult choice to make, but when push came to shove, she chose to obey God no matter what that meant. So guys, if we believe that the word of God is true, then the only wise choice, listen to me, the only wise choice we can make is to put our trust completely and totally in him, to do what he's asking us to do, regardless of the outcome. So let's jump and talk about Joseph for a minute. What do we really know about this guy? Honestly, I gotta tell you, we know more about Mary than we do Joseph. We just don't know much about Joseph. There's not much said in scripture about Joseph that we can refer back to. And, and yet, we know that he's kind of this, wouldn't you say he's this unsung hero of the Christmas story? It's like, we talk about him every year, everybody knows who he is, but we really can't tell you anything he said. We sing about, for instance, we write songs about, we write Christmas carols about the baby Jesus. We write Christmas carols, the lyrics about the virgin birth and the shepherds and the wise men and the angels. But guys, do you know there's not one Christmas carol that mentions Joseph? Nobody talks about him in a Christmas song. In fact, the Bible doesn't reference anything that he ever said. And yet, his life to us his life is an example to us of the type of life that all of us should live, the type of life that all of us should lead. It's obvious he's a good man. It's obvious that he's a good father, a good husband, that he's humble, that he's compassionate, that he's righteous. It's obvious that he's a man. It's very obvious that he's a man that's willing to trust God even when it's difficult. In Matthew chapter one, verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. That was a big deal. Mary tells him, think about it, Mary tells him that she's pregnant and that God is the father of this child. Guys, listen to me. That story was no more believable in the first century than it would be today. At first, Joseph, and at first, in fairness, at first, Joseph didn't believe her. But would you? I mean, if one of your friends or family members came and told you that, would you believe them? Remember, they were engaged and therefore they were legally bound, which meant that he didn't, he couldn't just break up with her. He had to legally divorce her to separate from her. But he loved her. He cared about her. And so he decides that he's gonna just kind of put her away quietly. Now, I've... I've tried to imagine what I would feel if Sandy were to come to me when we had been engaged and said, Steve, I'm pregnant, but you don't need to worry because I've never been with another man. You see, I had an angel visit me and God is the father of this child. I'm gonna be, do you think I'm stupid? 
I mean, I, I try to imagine the hurt that would come along with that. I think I would feel betrayed. I think I would feel anger. I think I would feel disappointment by someone that I love so much, someone that, had, someone that I thought loved me. I mean, what Mary is saying here had serious ramifications. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, in the Old Testament law, and remember at this point, they're living under the Old Testament law. If a man happens to meet in a town, if a man happens to meet in a town, a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. If a husband decided that he didn't want her stoned, then he could simply have her publicly humiliated and shamed. But that just wasn't Joseph's style. He loved this girl. He loved this girl with everything within his being and he didn't want her to be put to death. And he also didn't want her to be humiliated. So instead, he decides that he's gonna handle this privately, he decides he's gonna handle this quietly. Which simply means that he's gonna take the blame for the divorce so that the truth about the pregnancy might never come out. I don't, I don't know if he thought this, I'm making some assumptions here, but he might have even thought this would allow her to then marry this guy, whoever it was that got her pregnant. But my point is that it really shows us the kind of man that Joseph was. But then that same night, in a dream, an angel of the Lord appears to him. We read on, Matthew 1, verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So he, he goes to sleep that night, and he, and he has a dream. And once again, God steps in to direct their steps, much as he does with us. Guys, the, the bottom line is when you make a determination that you're gonna trust God and you make a determination that you're gonna be obedient to God no matter what he asks you to do, I'll promise you that God will, will lay out. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man or the steps of a righteous woman are ordered of God. You can trust the fact that he's gonna guide your steps if you'll only trust him. So instead, he tells Joseph, I want you to go marry this girl. So this angel tells Joseph what Mary had told him is true. She's not lying to you. This is true. And then told him what to name the baby, to name him Jesus. Guys, do you see why it's important that we don't get ahead of God? Why it's important that we trust him in every circumstance and situation? You say, yeah, but how do we know? Steve, how do we know if we're hearing from God or not? Well, first, you've got to make sure that it always lines up with Scripture. I mean, I've, I've told you that many, many times before. Whenever you feel like God's telling you to do something, the very first question you want to ask yourself is, does this line up with Scripture? What, and what I feel like God's telling me to do, does it go against Scripture or does it line up with Scripture? If it lines up with Scripture, that's the first test. The second test is, okay, this lines up with Scripture. Now, God, I need you to get really specific with me, and I need you to give me a peace that passeth all understanding. I need to know in my knower that this is what you want me to do. Now, we know this lined up with Scripture because prophecy said it in Isaiah chapter 7. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, there it is again, the virgin, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call, and will call him Emmanuel. 
So if it lines up with scripture, ask God to give you that peace. I often say it, if, you know what, when you know in your knower that God is telling you to do something, it lines up with scripture, then you need to determine to be obedient with it. We read on verse 24 of Matthew 1, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, just as the angel had told him to do. Listen, a lot of guys would have been so hurt. They would have not only walked away from their fiance, but guys, they would have walked away from their faith. They'd have walked away from God. They'd have been so angry, so hurt, but not Joseph. When he wakes up from that dream, what does he do? He immediately decides that he's gonna do what God told him to do. And therefore, he takes Mary as his wife. Notice he intentionally does not have uh, sexual relationships with her until after she gives birth to this child, to the son. So this was a tough decision for Joseph. I'm sure he was ridiculed by his friends. I'm sure he was scoffed at by his neighbors. But friends, here's the bottom line. Are we trying to please people? Or are we trying to please an audience of one? Because there's gonna be so many decisions and choices that you need to make in your life where you need to ask yourself that question. Because sometimes you're gonna, you know, everybody else is gonna ridicule you, they're gonna make fun of you, they're gonna be, they're gonna scoff at you at this decision, and you're like, well, guys, I don't, you know, maybe I should do this. But the bottom line is, are you trying to please an audience of one or are you trying to be a people pleaser? You gotta decide. It doesn't matter if someone ridicules us or laughs at us, it only matters, listen, that we've been obedient to God. Let's put the two stories together. You might recall that just before it was time for Mary to give birth, the Emperor Augustus of Rome declared that there needed to be a census taken. So here at the last minute, just before she's about to deliver, they were requiring that people go back to their family home. Joseph was in fact from Bethlehem. So they were required by law to travel back to Bethlehem. It was about a 90 mile journey that would take them about four days, three to four days to travel by donkey with the husband walking next to her. So Mary, who's this 15-year-old girl who was in her ninth month of pregnancy and had probably, if you really stop and think about it, more than likely she'd never traveled outside her hometown. But here she is, she has to leave her friends, she has to leave her parents and siblings, she has to leave the security of familiar surroundings. Imagine with me how scared she must have been. Imagine how hard this has to be. Now, I've never had a baby, but I mean, how hard can it be, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh, my email box is full already. <laughs> Seriously. This girl is nine months pregnant, traveling four days on a donkey. It had to be a miserable experience. But they get to Bethlehem and immediately, what do they do? Immediately, obviously, she's about, she's probably already having a few minor labor pains and immediately they're looking for a room to crash. But they quickly discover, they hadn't been there long before Joseph discovers that there's no rooms available. And so he comes back to Mary and he breaks the news to Mary and says, I'm so sorry, but the stable's all I could find. This, this, this barn is it. I would imagine by this time, this poor child is overwhelmed and in tears. This girl has probably come to a wall. She's about to go in labor, and she's gonna do it in a barn. 
She's gonna do it in a stable with only animals watching by. With only, if that's not bad enough, with only Joseph to deliver the baby. Is it time to panic? It might just be. So Joseph severs the umbilical cord and he wraps the baby in swaddling clothes and lays him in a manger. And remember, when he lays him in a manger, it's basically a water trough carved in stone. That's all they had. If you remember, it was then that the angel appears to the shepherds and they travel to see this child that the angel had spoken of. Remember, we talked about that last week. And the shepherds tell Mary what the angel had told them. And it says, I love this. It says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Guys, that word that these shepherds shared with them had to be a good reassurance, not only for Mary, but I think for Joseph as well, to be reminded that, you know what, this is a God thing. You know, they had to be wondering as they're in a stable in the worst conditions delivering a child, they had to be wondering, did we just miss God? I mean, what is all this about? And then, and then these shepherds show up. And now they had to think, okay, maybe what we thought we heard is true. So now you know more of the untold story of Christmas. Neither Matthew or Luke tell the entire Christmas story. So when you're putting the entire story together, you kind of have to combine Matthew and Luke together, piece them together. And honestly, there's no way to know some of these things for sure. Some of these things we're just kind of guessing and, and uh, taking a stab at based on what we do know and what we're reading. But I think it's possible that when Mary and Joseph left Nazareth, that they planned, and again, I'm making an assumption, so follow me here. I think when Mary and Joseph left Nazareth, I think they planned to relocate in Bethlehem where no one knew them and they could have a fresh start. And yet Luke chapter two indicates they went back to Nazareth. So Nazareth had been their home. They have to go to Bethlehem, okay, to deliver this baby because they're, they're taking uh, the, the laws requiring that they go back, a census. And now they go back to Nazareth. So here's what I think, and that's all it is, just my thoughts. I think it's lightly, likely that they wanted to show off their new baby to the grandparents. I think it's likely that they just wanted to see family. So they went back for a short visit. Jesus would have been about six weeks old at this point. But then they head back to Bethlehem where Joseph has a job as a carpenter. Now the scripture tells us that when the wise men show up in Jerusalem, remember we, we talked about this on week one. When the wise men show up in Jerusalem to talk with Herod, it's probably been two years since they saw the star. In Matthew chapter two, it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So Mary and Joseph are no longer in the stable in Bethlehem, but they're now in a house. And Jesus is no longer a baby, but he's now a toddler. Now I know this messes with some of your nativity sets, but don't get upset. I'm just trying to give you a more accurate picture of how this thing unfolded. Now, can you imagine, listen to me, can you imagine this night for both Joseph and Mary? The wise men leave. Okay, so 
He's, Jesus is a toddler. The wise men come bearing gifts and they give him that. And then they leave. Mary and Joseph go to bed. They go to sleep. And an angel of the Lord once again appears to Joseph in a dream. And he tells Joseph, take your family and go to Egypt. Because Herod is going to try to kill this child. Matthew chapter 2. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. This was called, you've probably heard it before, it's called the flight to Egypt. All right? And it says that they got up in the middle of the night and they left. So we don't know everything that this angel said to Joseph. We don't know all the details that the angel said to Joseph in this dream, but we just know Joseph was concerned enough that he packed up during the night. He didn't wait till morning and say, Mary, I had a dream last night. An angel appeared to me again, and this is what I think we should do to discuss it. He woke her up in the middle of the night. They packed up and they left. Which really would feel like a, it might feel like it wasn't that smart of a thing to do when you think about traveling in the middle of the night was no walk in the park. The roads in those days were dangerous because of thieves, and it was about a 250-mile walk to Egypt. And normally when you would go on a trip like that, you would go and you would travel in a caravan with a group of people. And you certainly did not want to travel at night. This trip would take them, this was no easy trip, this trip would take them anywhere from 20 to 25 days by camel through the desert. So they stay in Egypt until Herod dies. And once Herod dies, the angel of the Lord tells them now it's safe to go back. So they head back to Nazareth. And it's more likely that at this point, Jesus is about six or seven years old. So before we conclude today, what happened to Mary and Joseph? What happened to Mary and Joseph? From this point, it gets a bit sketchy, and we got to kind of fill in some of the holes. For instance, we know that Mary was part of the leadership of the early church. So we know that she was around. In fact, we see reference to her in Acts chapter 1. It says they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. And so we know that Mary was involved in the leadership of the church uh, even long after Christ died, Christ was crucified. We also see that Mary, we also see Mary is with the disciples in the upper room awaiting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. As a leader of the early church, well, she was revered and she was respected by other leaders in the church. Guys, if you want to see the best example of this story, again, you've heard me say it before, I'll keep saying it again, go watch the Chosen series. They've just done such an amazing job of portraying all of this. Just so, um, so believable and so real to life. And so I would highly recommend it. And when we talk about the birth of Christ, uh, what we showed last week, uh, and you still, I think, can go online and watch that, uh, does a great job of demonstrating the birth of Christ. But guys, think about it as a mother. Think about how hard it would be for her to watch the horrific abuse of her son. I mean, guys, I don't think Hollywood... The Passion of Christ probably came the closest to trying to depict it, but I don't even think Hollywood uh, could show us just how horrific Christ's beatings were. I mean, he, he, he was beaten 39 times with a cat of nine tails. No man survives that. I mean, his body would have been ripped to shreds 
He would have been swollen and bloody. His face would have been swollen from them continually beating him. His eyes would have been blackened from all the beating and punching that, he had, that had taken place. They nailed his hands and his feet to a cross. And now here he is, Mary, looking up at her son in front of her. Jesus' closest friend was John standing beside her and Jesus says what to his friend? John 19, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So basically what he's saying is, John, I need you to take care of my mom. I need you to take care of my mother. Listen, friends, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there as they lowered her son from the cross. She was there and held his body as he was prepared for burial. She was there when they laid him in a tomb. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you there's no human being that has suffered as much probably emotional pain over the death of Jesus than Mary did, watching her son die. No one loved Jesus more than Mary did. She so said, well, what about Joseph? What happened to him? Last time he is mentioned is also found in Luke chapter two when Jesus was 12 years old and they were, um, he was accidentally, you may know the story or remember the story, but he was accidentally left in Jerusalem and they had to go back looking for him. I'm not gonna go into that story. We'll save that for another time. After that, we never hear about Joseph again. So after he may, I don't know how old Jesus was when he died. The scripture doesn't tell us, but we know the last time he's mentioned Jesus was 12. And yet, even though, guys, we don't read any more about him, I think it's safe to say Joseph had a powerful impact on Jesus' life. He raised him and he mentored him. He even taught him the trade of carpentry. In more ways than we may ever know, Jesus was influenced and he was shaped by his earthly father, Joseph. So what I hope that you will get out of this today, or maybe I should say it this way, what do I hope that you'll get out of this today? Maybe a greater appreciation for the sacrifices that Mary and Joseph went through. When we read, again, the untold story, because when we read the stories, the Christmas stories, and we, we think about Mary and Joseph, it's a sweet little story that we tell our kids or grandkids, but they went through a great deal. They went through a lot of emotional pain in this whole process. I'm sure they had questions. Come on. They were trying to be obedient to God, but I'm sure there was all kinds of questions. Here they are caught between what God is asking them to do and what made sense, and most of this didn't make any sense. Seriously, the Father is the Holy Spirit? I mean, there's so much a part of the story that would have been so hard, and so much of it just had to be on faith. And yet at the same time, guys, I gotta tell you, I think we've all stared at the sky blackened with doubt. I think every one of us have been at a place in our life where we've questioned God, where we've asked God, you know, what are you doing in my life? I'm not sure I understand this. God, I, I, you know, I feel like I sense like you're wanting me to do this, but it just doesn't make any sense. We've all tried to find more clarity in this situation. We've all looked for friends to help us and say, you know, I'm, I'm confused. This is what I feel like God is telling me to do. And, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. But there comes a point. You can ask anybody and everybody what they think you should do. But when it really comes down to it, you're the one that has to determine whether you're going to be obedient to God or not. 
Maybe, maybe the questions asked weren't inside a stable, but perhaps the questions asked were inside an ER. I don't know. I'm sure we've all had times, listen, I'm sure we've all had times of question as we try to figure out what God's doing in our life. But guys, regardless of the situation that you find yourself in today, I would just encourage you to do what Mary and Joseph did. Just make a decision, just draw that line in the sand that you're gonna obey God no matter what. They just refused. They just refused to allow their confusion or their doubt to disrupt their obedience to God. They faced humiliation. I mean, think about it. Joseph had to shut down his business. He had a regular business going. He had to shut it down to travel. They packed up and moved several times. Why? Very simply because God told them to. Friends, just like Mary and, G just like Mary and Joseph, you have a choice to make. You have to decide whether you're gonna obey God and live for him or to go your own way and do your own thing. So the question is, which will you choose? Will you choose to trust him? What kind, of, what kind of a commitment do you really have toward your relationship with Christ? Are you really all in? Do you really trust him with your life? I want you to ponder those questions today. We're gonna, we're gonna share communion at all of our campuses and your campus pastor is gonna come. And, um, but as we... As you partake, as you get the juice and the bread, I just really want you to ponder those questions. You know, it's easy as we talk about Christmas and it's easy to tell our family that Christ is the most important thing in our life, but is he? Have we come to that level of commitment where we're all in? So I want you to think about that. As I want you to remember what Christ did for you on the cross. I want you to think about your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe Maybe this will be a great time for you just to renew your commitment to the Lord. We're coming to the end of the year, coming to the end of 2021. Maybe this is the time to just say, you know, God, I haven't been as committed as I need to be. And so as I move into 2022, I'm, I'm making a commitment, Lord, that I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna be all in no matter what. Pray with me. And, then the campus pastors are gonna come. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your faithfulness, Lord. I just pray, dear God, that you would just challenge all of us in our commitment to you and in our walk with you. And this year in this Christmas season, like Mary and Joseph, I just pray, dear God, that we would uh, remember the price that you paid on the cross for all of our sins. And that, God, we would just renew our our commitment level to you, that we would remember the love, the ultimate love that you showed for each and every one of us. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name.